We start off with some wonderful readings today. Sirach talks about, you can see the care a tree is given by the fruit it produces. And Jesus, among the many things he says in the gospel says, good trees bear good fruit. I don't know much about trees. I was born in the city. We played in the alleys, not on the fields or anything like that in Chicago. But hearing the readings today reminded me, my father, God rest his soul, was one of his prized possessions in life was a fig tree. They're not conducive to this kind of climate, yeah, but he kept a tree alive by planting it literally right up against the wall of the house so that any of the heat that kind of seeped out during the winter would keep that ground from freezing. And there was a pattern of what needed to be done to keep that tree alive in this climate. The tree had to be buried, literally buried, into the ground before the first frost, but not too early or it would rot. And the tree had to be dug up when we were certain the first frost would be over. But if you dug it up too early and a frost hit, that would kill the tree as well. So that was kind of the changing of the seasons, seeing the fig tree go down, seeing the fig tree go up. And it was quite a process. My dad, my brothers and I would dig a hole next to the tree kind of almost looked like a grave, it was so big. While we were digging the hole, my dad would take a saw and the cutters and he would trim most of the branches off the tree. And all we're left was the, the core and a few of the bigger branches with the trunk. And when that was all that was left and the hole was dug, first thing that was done is we filled the hole with leaves, newspapers, and a layer of burlap from the old burlap sacks that the onions and potatoes would come in to our family grocery store. And then my dad very carefully, slowly would bend the trunk of the tree down without cracking it into the ground. And then we would cover it with more leaves, with more newspapers, with more burlap, and then the soil. That would be before the first frost. And when we were sure there was not going to be another frost in the spring, we would dig it up and a few of the tips of the branches would be a little blackened by frost and my dad would prune those. And you could see tiny, tiny little buds just forming and say, how is this going to look like the big fig tree that we had last year? But by June, it was a big tree again with the big leaves. By the end of July came the figs, about a dozen of them, that's all. Not that big, but they were like gold for my father, like gold. My dad got older and slower. My brothers and I took over the task more and more for him, but always at his command. 
And one day I was coming home from school and I had my transistor radio in my ear with the earphone, kind of like the kids today with their apps on their phone in their, in, their, uh, in their ear. And I didn't have an app. I was listening to WLS rock and roll radio. And on the news it said, first hard frost tonight. And nothing had been done about the tree. So I literally ran home and I said, Dad, we got to put the tree in the ground. There's even hard frost tonight. Not a man of many words, he looked at me and said, no. I said, you don't get it, the news today, it said, frost tonight, freeze, no. My brothers and I, we'll take care of it for you, no. So I ran to my mom, I said, dad doesn't get it. It's gonna freeze tonight. She said, leave him alone. It's not been a good year for him. He hasn't been very healthy and he's got things on his mind. And so there was a tree standing tall all winter, all the branches still on it. And I can remember seeing the ice storms and the snow pile on it, some of the branches cracking, some of them breaking. It was a usual cold Chicago winter. And I figured this poor tree is done for. In the spring, Looked at it, didn't even ask my dad, trimmed off some of the dead branches. And come the end of July, three or four small figs. It somehow survived. He enjoyed the figs. I didn't realize what that meant to him and what the scripture was telling us until many years later after his passing, he had made my mom promise she would take the whole family to visit the hometown, the farm in which he grew up on in the little town of Correggio, down the hill from the village of Iberabello in the province of Puglia, Bari, in southern Italy. And it was quite a trip. We spent the first couple of weeks up north visiting relatives and in Rome, the Vatican, and finally came time to come to the family lands and everybody was excited. And we were there, there were 13 of us, my mom in her late 70s, down to my youngest niece who was about two and a half years old. Both of my brothers had married beautiful Scandinavian girls and their daughters were blonde haired and blue eyed. Little farming village, the young men, the young bucks heard about them and they started driving down the little dirt road past the farm, became a procession of cars, bicycles, tractors, motorcycles, staring at these beautiful blonde girls and the nieces just eating it all up. They thought this was great. And then we decided, it's been close to two and a half weeks, we gotta do our laundry. A little, little uh, laundromat in the town. And so I went to get my laundry and it had disappeared. Who steals a priest's laundry, right? I was embarrassed, I didn't know what to do, what to say. So I went to my mom, I said, Mom, I think somebody took my laundry, and she started to laugh. She said, you don't know what's been going on. The very pious little old ladies from the town were fighting over who would do the priest's laundry. I think they thought it would get them to heaven. I realized probably I should have been a priest there, it would have been a lot more fun. But. Uh, I got my laundry done in neat little piles. While my brothers and their families were at the laundromat, I got a chance just to walk around, get a sense of where my dad grew up. And what did I see? 
thousands and thousands, I'm not exaggerating, fig trees. Some were in groves, neatly planted in rows, beautifully trimmed, just like my dad used to do. And this was early July, and they were loaded with fruit, ready to be picked. And the figs were as big as pears. They were incredible. In fact, my nephew got hooked by my uncle, who was still farming the land, to help him pick the figs. He said it was the hardest day he worked in his life. And they were packed into boxes and sent up north, where they were sold to fancy restaurants in northern Italy to be made into great dishes of food. And then I found out another thing. The climate, the soil, everything was so good there that those trees would have a second crop in September. Figs were no bigger than my thumb, I was told. But those were the really, really sweet figs. They didn't sell those. They kept those. They turned it into jam and marmalade and they baked them in the oven with marscapone cheese and reduced wine sauce, great desserts. They kept the best for themselves. And when we were there for breakfast, they'd hand us a, a demitasse of strong Italian espresso coffee to get us started, a piece of warm bread that had just been cooked in the communal ovens, and they'd say, go out and pick yourself some figs, but not from the groves from the wild trees. Wild trees were everywhere, growing out of rocks, out of fences, in corners, in the street. Anywhere you looked were wild fig trees. Figs weren't as big, and they, weren't, they wouldn't be as sweet as the second crap, but they were great. And we were told, eat them while they're still due on them. You never eat figs in the heat of the day. And when I asked them why, they said, you'll find out a few hours after you eat them. So I believe them. That's when I realized how important my dad's little fig tree was to him. It was a sign of a life that he had lived, and he didn't want that life to end. And as he was growing older, he was dealing with his own mortality. Paul says in Corinthians, death wears your sting, you know. It's frightening, and it frightened this man who was so full of life. And in his own way, he wanted to see what would happen if he let it be. And the tree did survive, and I think that really meant something to my father. So here we are, a little over a week from Ash Wednesday. Lent is going to start. And the season of Lent it begins with the ashes on our forehead. Remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. Can't get more frank than that. We're all going to die. But everything that Scripture tells us today, everything we believe, everything we celebrate around the altar, says there will always be life. We don't just celebrate the Mass. We don't just attend Mass. We don't just go to Mass. We live the Mass. We take all that happens here, the presence of Jesus that comes in our hearts, and we take it from this church, and we bring that life to others, to family, to friends, to neighbors, to strangers, to people we will never meet. We are a source of that life. But we need Lent. We need Lent to prune the branches so the fruit will be bigger, richer, 
sweeter. We need Lent to look death in the eye and say, death and all the sin that surrounds it, uh uh-uh, you're not gonna win. Because Lent exists for one reason. We couldn't have Easter if there wasn't Lent. We couldn't have resurrection if there wasn't crucifixion. And this is our time to look at our lives and see what do we need to prune from the branches? What do we need to do to make sure that the life is lived fully in our lives? What do we have to let go of? What do we have to bury? What do we need to do not to be afraid of death, but to celebrate life around the altar of the Lord? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, tomorrow, and Tuesday. Tonight, we're going to talk about hearing how God speaks to us, hearing God's word. In the midst of all the noise around us, how do we hear it? And tomorrow night, once we hear God's word, how do we understand? How do we possibly understand what God is asking of us in God's word? And we end on Tuesday night, most importantly, how do we respond to God's word? And it all centers around this altar. This is the source of our faith. This is the roots of our faith. This is where it all is. This is where it all is celebrated in the Eucharist at Mass. And that'll be the focal point of all of it. Not a lot of theology, a lot of stories. Because who we are, the fruit that we bear, are the stories of our lives. And when we share our stories, a connection is made with the story the story of faith, salvation history, God coming into our lives and giving us the gift of eternal life through Jesus. That's what we'll be all about. I invite you to come. If you say, well, I can't make it all three nights, that's okay. While each talk, one will follow the other here, understand, respond, God's voice, God's word. Each will stand separately and be a, a night on its own. So whatever night you can make it, invite you to attend, bring a friend, bring a neighbor, bring somebody in the family who's struggling a little bit. Bring yourself, listen to God, hear what God is saying, try to understand it. Together we'll figure out the best way is this wonderful community of faith to respond. And it'll be my privilege and my pleasure to be with you these nights. God bless you all.